I give up. I'll just preach instead of looking at that thing. <clears throat> Thank you for being here this morning. I take my opportunity to welcome all of you. I'm going to try to be as concise in this lesson as Trent has been in his last couple. Uh, I think last time he spoke, he got finished before the song leader thought he would, and we were a little bit late. Uh, so I'll just warn y'all, it's going to be a little shorter than normally for the second lesson. I want to talk with you about the Lord's unique church. It's kind of a lesson that we used to hear spoken of perhaps more than we do today. Uh, and there's a, a great need for it. The, the word unique means soul, one of a kind, the only. And it's just so important to me that we understand that the Lord came to this earth to establish a church. Uh, it's His church. And it belongs to Him and we ought to, to acknowledge that in so many of our, our thoughts as we gather like this. Uh, and it did come on and I pressed too many buttons there. There we go. Alright. Uh, Jesus came down to this earth and I'll just make this statement. It's going to be on the screen a little bit later. Um, he, he came down here into the midst of one of the most religious groups of people that you can imagine. The Jews had their faith. They had a God. The Romans had their faith. They had gods of all different sorts. The Greeks had their gods of all different sorts. And the Greek and Roman gods are pretty much the same. They just changed the names of them back and forth. Uh, but it's just a real religious world. And what he told them was, it's not enough just to be religious. It may have been true for the Jews at one time, but not during the days when Jesus taught or his apostles. In fact, in the book of Matthew, the 16th chapter, and I'm going to read a bunch of these verses with you. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus made some comments to him that I, I just find to be terribly important. In verse 18, uh, Peter's made a confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But I say to you that just as surely as your name is Peter, upon this rock, the fact of his deity, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I'm going to give you to, to the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loose in heaven. Okay, He's made a promise here. I'm going to build my church. And nothing is going to stop me. This is going to be the church that Jesus will establish as opposed to the Jews' church, as opposed to the Greeks' religion, as opposed to the Romans' religion. As opposed to anything that happened in the land of Egypt or in Africa or anywhere else, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. It's going to be mine. And we need to understand that there was one of them. This to me is so important for us to bear in mind that Jesus, the apostles, so many of the disciples in the early church died for the faith in the one distinct, unique church. We live in an age where almost anything we do is acceptable. Religiously, non-religiously, as long as we're good people, God's going to take us to heaven. And I understand that. I almost sympathize with it, but it's not what God says in His Word. There is a church and we need to be members of that church. I'm not going to say Church of Christ. We need to be religious in the sense that I love God more than anything and I'm going to do what he says in the book. In fact, you'll find different designations for this church. There is no name given to it. 
It's referred to as the church of God. It's referred to as the church of Christ. It's referred to as the general assembly or the church of the firstborn. Whatever you want to call it, that was God's church. But there was just one of them. There weren't 30 or 40 or 50 or 300 or 3,000 as there are in our world today. We need to be members of this one church. Uh, Matthew 7. Verses Mike referred or read to to us a few moments ago. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who's in heaven. It's that important for us to understand and do the will of God. Matthew, the 23rd chapter, Jesus comes along. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Over and over and over, he says the same thing. They have mistaken the church so many times. Uh, they just totally missed the point. I mean, you go back into the Old Testament and you'll see thoughts in the book of Micah that are very similar to the ones in Matthew, the 23rd chapter. You pay tithe of mint and anise and coon and left undone the weightier matters of the law. You need to have mercy. You need to have justice. You need to walk humbly with your God. You need to do these things. This is what God wants of us. To be simple, humble people that are willing to do the will of God more than anything else in this world. Jesus came to establish His church. And nothing was going to stop Him. Nothing was going to stop Him from doing that. This one true church had a distinct plea. I want to look with you in the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Paul, I think in writing to the Ephesian church, made some comments to them that are so important for all of us to understand this, this unity that we're talking about. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit and one hope of your calling and one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God and Father of all who is above all and in all and through all. There's one. Here is the plea that the church made. There aren't two or three Jesuses. There's not three or four gods. There's not a lot of different. There's one faith. And to me, it's important for us to understand what that faith is. It's the same faith that Jude talked about in verse 3. Once for all delivered to the saints. Here is a body of doctrine. It's not my faith subjective. What's in me that believes in God it's my faith objective. Here is this body of doctrine that I believe in. God puts it to us in His Word. Uh, if we'll go for a moment to... Uh, and I can, Okay. Uh, in the book of Galatians, the first chapter, just back a page or two, uh, Jesus says it, or Paul rather says it this way, I'm amazed that you're so quickly removing, deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. There's just one. Which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and would distort the gospel of Christ. Now, here, here's what was delivered to you. And here's what you believed. And it's just one gospel. One gospel. One body of doctrine. You believed in that. There is another it's a different than the one that Paul says we have delivered to you. He gets more specific about this when he goes on to the next verse. 
But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached, he's to be accursed. The older translations use the word anathema. It's a very strong word. It means to be cursed by God. It's not just bad luck to you. It's that God is going to look with disfavor upon this. This point is so important that he says in verse 9, As I said before, so say I now again. If any man is preaching to you any gospel contrary to what you believe, he's to be anathema. He's to be cursed by God. How many gospel? Why would God feel so strange about this one? That he's going to place a curse on somebody that teaches something different. Because this is the gospel that saves. You will find in the world so many contrary thoughts. Uh, we've seen uh, the gospel according to Matthias, the gospel according and all of these apocryphal books, pseudepigrapha, things that are just false, and we know they're false. You need to listen to that. You need to listen to this. These are the different gospels that he's talking to us about, and there's just one. There's just one. This uh, thing with my nephew happened a number of years ago. I have two sisters. One worships at 4th Street and the other worships with a church in Hartsville. And one of them had a son and he went home with the other sister. One weekend, just spent the weekend with him and went to church one Sunday morning and came out of Bible class. And you understand kids about that high come out and they're, they're not just tame like adults are. Uh, they, they show their enthusiasm and the spark of life and they'll run out and they've got to tell you something if they learned it in Bible class they've got to express this to you and he came out of class just grinning from ear to ear and rushed up to my other sister and said guess what you have the same apostles here we have at home that's the gospel there were twelve and then they added Matthias, and then they added Paul. And maybe they added one or two more, Barnabas, uh, James the Lord's brother. I'm not positive about that. I'll just say that the Bible refers to him as apostles, but that's all. There's no apostolic succession that comes on down through the years so that uh, the Pope gets to be one or the head of the Mormon church gets to be one or something like that. This is the gospel of Christ. There's just one. And it's interesting to me that when we go from this church to a different congregation of God's people, there may be minor differences. I, we, we talked Wednesday night about the covering that women wear. Okay, this is a big deal in the state of Alabama. We were way at summer camp one year, and they were arguing about things like this, and, and some people from Kentucky were just totally confused by this because the big deal for them was whether they could have weddings or funerals in church buildings. That was not a big deal down here. You'll, you'll find these minor differences like that that do need to be studied, and we can talk about them as much as anybody wants to. But this is not saying you have to be baptized in the name of Mike or in the name of Jack or the name of Trent. There is one name in which we are baptized, and we'll talk about in a few minutes uh, about that in just a few minutes. For us, this one distinctive plea is salvation is through the blood of Jesus. There's no other way. And Jesus was very specific about this when he told him in John the 14th chapter, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. That's part of the gospel. It's the blood of Christ. It was shed for the remission of my sins, and I can't be saved without it, and we all need to understand that. The gospel is the drawing power. 
Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's going to draw people to Jesus. As we tell people about his death, about his burial, about his resurrection, about the life that he wants us to live, that's the power. It's in Jesus, it's in his blood, but it's also in the gospel that teaches us what we have to do in order to be saved. Not recreation. Not food to draw people who are pleasure seekers to a gospel that really doesn't teach anything. And this is what you find when you get out in the religious world around us. They don't really teach anything distinct. They don't teach anything at all. In the Gospel of John, the sixth chapter, people followed Jesus because you ate the loaves and were filled. Not because you love what I have to say to you. You're not saved by this food we eat down here. You're saved by the gospel, by the bread of life that Jesus could deliver to us. In fact, in verse 60 through 66, Jesus had talked to him in that chapter about uh, unless you eat my blood, my body, and drink my blood, you, you, can't, you have no part with me. You, you can't be saved. This caused so much dissension among the believers that many of them turned and walked from him and followed him no more. Jesus was so disturbed by this, I think he looked out at the apostles and said, would you leave me as well? And here comes Peter, who could say the wrong things and sometimes would thrill the Lord's soul. Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And these are the words of eternal life that we read in the Bible. We need to understand this unique, distinct plea that the Lord has for every one of us. He's the Savior of the world. We need to understand that. I don't care about a lot of things in this life, but when Jesus died for me, that ought to impress me. It's not just religion. It's my love for God that counts for so much in this life. Acts, the fourth chapter, verse 12. I marvel at some of the things that are said. There is not another name under heaven given among men wherein we must be saved. I'm baptized into the name of Christ for the remission of my sins. But first I have to believe in the Christ and this is so essential in this life. Faith in Him. In the book of Galatians, the second chapter, verse 20. Let me read this with you. It's Paul stating, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live in faith. Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. I have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Not that He's a good man, that He was a good teacher, that He was anything other than the Son of God. This to me is the important foundation of our faith. We'll need to be baptized for the remission of our sins, but let me tell you about baptism. If you don't do the prerequisites, believing in the blood of Jesus, that He is the Son of God, nothing else you do from that point on is going to matter. If you don't believe He's the Son of God, you can be baptized 30 times and it's just being dunked in water. 
You'll get wet, and that's all you'll get. Believe that He is the Son of God. This is what's going to change our life. The act of baptism is essential. I think it's important. It's the new birth. By that process, I go into the water and I come up a new man, and that's Romans, the sixth chapter. It's the resurrection to life, but it's because of what Jesus did in Acts, the second chapter. No, sorry, Galatians, the third chapter. Let me do these verses with you. Verse 26 and 7. For we are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Baptism is, is an act of faith. It's the way in which I say with my actions, Lord, I want to be yours. I want the salvation which you offer. I clothe myself with Jesus when I am baptized for the remission of my sins, and the sins are still there until the baptism takes place. Let me look with you for a moment in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Corresponding to that baptism. Now let me go back to verse 20 and do the, and the last couple of verses, uh, words in there. Few that is eight souls were saved through water. He's talking about Noah and his family. There were eight souls in the ark. The water saved them from the sins of the world. The ark saved them from drowning. But the water destroyed the sin that was out there. Eight souls were saved through water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but the appeal of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It starts with the resurrection of Christ and my faith in him as being the son of God. But the baptism is so important. This is how my soul asks for the salvation that God has promised. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh. There's nothing magical about this, but it is my conscience appealing to God through the resurrection of Christ. It's the resurrection of Jesus that brought it about. But it's the baptism that brings it home to me I am now a member of the body of Christ. And that's the one distinct plea that the apostles and the disciples in that first century made. And it's so important for us to know that and to understand that and believe that and to do what he says. If you're here and you're not a Christian, we want you to be. You need to be, if you know right from wrong, if you believe that Jesus is God's Son, you can be baptized today for the remission of those sins. If you're a child of God and you've drifted from the faith, we implore you with all that's in us, return to Him while you have time. If you need to respond this morning to the invitation of the Lord, we'll ask you to come while we stand and sing. Yeah.